Hello and welcome to The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. I'm your host, Dr. David Hardy. And today, as always, we've got an amazing guest on our show. She is the CEO and co-founder of Apiranzo, international speaker and a retired colonel. We've got Dr. Mikra Hamilton on our show. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? Um, amazing. So great to be with you. Thank you. Excellent. Now you're coming in from Austin, correct? I'm in downtown Austin, just near the nice. Capitol and Congress. Yeah. Beautiful day here. Yeah. Super hot. <laughs> Super hot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I remember, yeah, first meeting you in Asheville, North Carolina, when, when you and Dan were practicing there. And uh, I was blown away with the, with the things you were doing in, in your uh, clinic there. And especially kind of on... Uh, the psychoacoustics and I was like just how we feel good from different sounds and I go into basically too like when I started when I was growing up I had a speech problem and a lot of it kind of stemmed from well I just couldn't perceive sounds properly and uh, I think that really changed how I would pronounce things later on as well and uh Sometimes now when I learn a different language or have to pronounce somebody's name, it always kind of kind of gets to me that, uh, yeah, maybe some of these notes and sounds I don't perceive well. Um, can you kind of dive into what psychoacoustics is and and all the different things that, that we can do with, with sound therapies and why is it effective? Sure. Um, so psychoacoustics is so amazing. And if you, if you just look at the word psychoacoustics, right, we're talking about sound and the psyche and right. sound, really sound and the psychology, which in, involves the body, right? Um, sound as a vibration and frequencies that are in the environment that are informing the body and the mind and the spirit. And so um, for me, when I look at the power of sound to transform the human system, it's one of my top favorites. I believe it is the future, uh, vibrational science is the future of medicine itself and healing. Um, and of course, we're still going to need the things like, you know, the, the surgeries and, and the right, yes. and, and staples, but um it's interesting to have a modality that, that in many ways is free, right? And, and I would say that, that that's definitely not going to be um, thrilling to a lot of people. Uh, but in Asheville, you know, as you were referring to um, the psychoacoustic research that we did, we had an anechoic chamber, semi, it was basically semi-anechoic, which means non-reflective. And so okay. the, the way we normally localize sound is right from the ears and it, around the environment. And in this chamber, um, it, was, it was calibrated in a way that you could not localize sound. And so all of the speakers were coming into, into just this tiny little input at the ear and as the spatialized sound, they were um, soundscapes. And so think of Costa Rican rainforest with the frogs and the raindrops <laughs> and just the beautiful, you know, wind nature um, environment. And it was coming out of speakers like all around and above and below the client hanging in the center. And what happened uh, was the mind didn't know what to do with it. It was like, 
I don't know where that's coming from. And so you either had the perception of, I am the sound, um, okay. or the sound is coming, coming into me from me. I mean, it's, it's really hard to describe it unless you've actually experienced, but, but a completely unique expression of the way sound moves in the human system and astounding results. So, so as you know, we, we had, um, psychophysiologic, um, sensors on, and we also, you know, did, did brainwave mapping of what was going on in, in this time that the, that the sound was moving about the room. And it was so amazing. It basically took the, depending on the soundscape, took the nervous system and quieted or turned it off to where there was such a sense of peace, you know, once, vibrating, you know, high beta head, you know, um, incoherent system. Uh, and, and so spectacular results on the human system. That is, yeah, that is amazing. Um, how, how would that compare to like a, like you're saying basically it's calming, calming the sound, the sound effect from within. Um, if, if I, if I'm paraphrasing correctly there, how would that compare to basically a sensory deprivation tank then where you're taking away that, that stimulation of gravity and basically uh, withdrawing that, that sense from, from someone? Well, and it's, it's interesting because initially we thought that we were developing a sensory deprivation chamber, right, where you would mm-hmm. only have sound and absolutely nothing else. And what we discovered over the years of research um, mostly because people were having psychedelic experiences in there over and over, unlike almost every person who entered. Um, oh. <laughs> I know, I know, right? It was like, it was a little scary for a while. Um, but after a few years, we, we got used to that. But we, we basically came to the conclusion that it was a sensory optimization chain, chamber. because. I like that. Yeah, it was, it was so great because all we were doing was sound. It was completely blacked out, uh, completely silent, no reflection of that sound. But what was happening, it was so great. All of the senses were turning on. So the inner vision would turn on and give a vision. Like we had one piece that had this beautiful Kodo drum. And as the Kodo drum sounded, this red wall of energy came down through the chamber Uh, or people would see as the drums, you know, kept going, they would see themselves in ancient Japan and, and be in very, like like very real scenarios or experiences. (laughs) They would not only see themselves there, they could hear what was going on. And in the rainforest ones, it was phenomenal because they could smell the, the water droplets would hit um, like a, if you said a green leaf and would mm-hmm. roll off the leaf onto the ground and hit the earth and they could smell the earth. And so what was happening was a complete sensory experience generated only by sound and what the mind did with the soundscape. It was, it was truly mir- to me, miraculous. <laughs> Definitely. Wow. Now what got you in, into this field of study then? Oh, you know, it's so interesting. So I did um, 30 years in the military and in the, in the last probably seven, I was in human performance full-time. And uh, before that I was, it was audiology. So sound. So my doctorate is, um, is in sound and psychoacoustics. Uh, As I worked in the 
in the Air Force Research Lab. It was a, an auditory research lab, battle space acoustics. And so we were basically looking at, you know, what can we do in the environment to give our guys a little bit longer for us to get them out, right? So it was, it was just mitigation strategies to keep them safe and to also um, ensure that their hearing wasn't damaged okay. uh, as much as we could, right? New tech right. and, and yeah. very cool things. But I was in D.C. and I was at the Secretary of Health um, Defense, Secretary of Defense Health Affairs, and we were talking about trauma. And I said to them, why, why aren't we using sound for trauma? Because at that time, they wouldn't allow psychedelics in, in as research. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they said, you know, we, Colonel Hamilton, we, we understand that there's some truth to that. However, <laughs> however. There is no proof. And so what what about you researching that, giving us enough proof that perhaps, you know, there's some funding. And so I said, okay, you know, I'm up for I'm up for the challenge. And I really do believe in sound for for healing the human system or or putting it back into resonance or harmony or coherence, whatever you know, language you use. And so we we did, we built the chamber and um, began researching. For we we did we did what was approximated PTSD research right because we couldn't okay. take the really um, disempowered impacted veterans so what we did was we we took a control group of normal normal human stress and then we took a, another group of what we would call heightened human stress not not to the true ptsd diagnosis because we didn't want to go into that diagnosis lane it was more about you know what can sound do for stress and trauma and can we use psychoacoustics and oxytocin and at that time you know 2012 um there were only a couple of people working in uh with oxytocin stephen stephen porges's wife um, and a couple of others. And, you know, we, we just knew that if we could re, re, not, not reopen, well, maybe reopen, assist them to access their heart space where they could actually feel again, you know, through memories of music. Like if you went to the beach, um, you know, when you were on spring break and the cars were playing on the drive down on the road trip with your buddies, and that was the best day of your life going back into that state of being then elicits that that state and if you're really good at putting yourself into the memories of that you can be in real time with it and so we said well let's use let's use oxytocin um you know sublingually and let's use music that really generated emotion in them and or photos of you know loved ones and mm-hmm. um and then, and then what type of music or soundscape might be the biggest catalyst for the heart or emotional centers feeling sensory nature to reopen? Um, and, and could we just do that with oxytocin and sound alone? So we designed a study. I got a, an incredible um, Harvard re, HRV researcher, uh, Jack Ginsburg, who was the top HRV guy in the VA for PTSD. He joined... Mm-hmm crew and a couple of other just amazing researchers. And we did 10, um, 10 clients just had remarkable results. And, you know, it was like, now what's the next step? 
so took the results, applied for a grant for bigger research and, and we weren't selected and that was okay. Um, kept researching, developed, let's see, four years of data. And then at South by Southwest in here in Austin, uh, in 2016, right. We, we presented and we, we created a health consciousness scale with it. And so, so the development of that has informed the research that we're doing now with sound and um, some other modalities. And so it's, it's progressing over time. And you mentioned that, that progression. Um, so right now, basically you're combining only two variables to, to therapies, um, the chemical side of things, obviously the oxytocin, um, which kind of has been the, the go-to for, I, I would argue far too long in, in the healthcare arena. And then you combined it with a stimulation modality as well to kind of get that combination approach, almost a one plus one equals three. Am I on the, on the right track with that? Well, we did. That's what, that's how we sort of went into the progression. And as we, as we began to uh, really see what the, what the data and the information was giving us, we also, we also use Garmin um, performance. Okay, yeah. To monitor yeah, wearables are going to become such a big part of healthcare. Oh yeah. my God. It's, you talk about teaching interoception. I mean, it, there's, it's just amazing to be your own biofeedback unit and to right. really yes. get very precise with it. Um, but what happened over the years was we just knew the power of, you know, psychoacoustics, also the oxytocin addition. Then as we added, we began to um, add brain stimulation. Uh, okay. And, and when you say brain stimulation, what, what specifically do you mean with that? Neuromodulation. So what we, what we would do is cap the, uh, cap the brain, you know, with a QEG and we would, we would look at it from the perspective of performance, not from the sick care database of the typical brain that most people are looking at. It's like, you know, the people who come to us are really high performers and right. they have, they generally have access to skill sets that most people do not because they've honed mm -hmm. their craft over years of dedication and devotion to right. it. And so, um, you know, so we, how do these people that are coming in to see you now, kind of what profession wise are they and how did, does that compare to what was going on in your military experience with peak performance there? It's, it's interesting to, to compare and contrast the two. The, on the military side, I was able to work with um, really highly trained performers, right? And they're right. all self-selected. And, you know, it's, it's like, hey, do this. They do it and they, they respond instantly, right? Because they're used to getting their body to do what they're being told to do. And right. so from that perspective, it was an incredible, an incredible experience of knowing what humans are capable of when, right, they're, they're all in doing the work with the proper technology and the proper training, right? On the, on the what I say, civilian side, we were being visited by professional athletes, um, former, mm -hmm. former special operators, entrepreneurs, you know, really just high performing individuals who were ready to take themselves to the next stage of their evolution. 
Okay. And so, so diff, main difference is the military can't allow certain things that can be done outside the military. Right. Uh, okay. I mean, it, and so, um, you know, I, I always wonder about that because I know that China and Russia don't care about those things. And yet I understand <laughs> our ethics. Um, I, I just sometimes go, are we going to get behind? Um, but that's a whole, that's a whole different conversation. Right, uh, yeah. You know, so, so we have a, a population that is studying as much as they can find on the, on the latest technological advancements and advanced biologics. And so, so as, as we began leaping all of those things together, mm-hmm. you know, um, the, the stimulation and then with some ketamine and with some peptides, I mean, when, when you look at this complex system and you know where it's currently sitting because you have a good baseline state of it, you're so able to, to really take and fine tune the strategies based on the system. Do you know, because if you say that is so key right there based on the system and it's an individualized system. And so many people just hear these hacks out there and are trying these hacks. Like we, we, we were diving into uh, Wim Hof breathing right before this and uh, how you actually had a, had a patient or client who uh, it did the complete opposite for him instead of firing up his system the way we would expect that intense breath work to do. It actually really was detrimental to him, wasn't it? So can you dive into that basically? If you don't actually uh, apply it to what's going on in that individual system, what can happen? And then maybe we'll go into how people figure out what's wrong with their system. And, you know, I love precision. And, you know, since 2009, we've been working with genetics and we realized the epigenetic of the variants within the genetic code gave us so much information that that once we confirmed that the client was actually expressing what was showing up in the code and we put the lifestyle strategies against it or, or any mitigation strategy against it, we saw how fast the system changed. And right. so um, in 2015, we created our own genomics company and then Epigenetics Coaching Academy so that we could get ahead of kind of um, basically what is coming through the sick care lane of right of mm-hmm. non-precision and one size fits all. And that's, that's what they're doing now with the genetics on that side is you've got this gene that means this. It doesn't, right? And so- It doesn't work. It doesn't. And so <laughs> as we get to the precision nature, you need precision data. And so if we map the nervous system the autonomic nervous system, if we map the brain, if we map the neurocognitive processes, you know, what's going on in the executive skill centers, um, lean muscle mass, body fat, bone density, right? Um, Many key areas of the body, like how the muscles are communicating with the brain from um, an electrical um, sort sort of perspective, we really begin to understand what's going on in the system that that has been sort of a conundrum you know previously mm-hmm. and as we do that it, we can take these very precise and focused strategies uh sometimes lumped jumped together and sometimes in sequence order effect 
to uh, to watch the system change over time and almost overnight, truly, yes. because the precision is so high. Uh, peptides are so targeted. Genomics give mm-hmm. us such a great baseline, you know, comprehensive yes. labs, hormones. I mean, just when you just go, the human system is this miraculous being. And with the information, also looking at the psyche mindset, you know, the spiritual uh, sort of worldview, mm-hmm. we, we can really uh, take that system to a place that, that it has not previously understood or known. Right. This, yeah, this is my language. I, I'm loving this. Uh, so what are basic tools or kind of these biomarkers that people can start looking at themselves to, to know how their system's working so that they can start to develop strategies? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so the biomarker depends on the purpose, right? If somebody comes in and says, you know, I'm 55 and I have heard about age rejuvenation, I really want to reverse age, what can I mm-hmm. do? Um, then, you know, we would start with DNA age or true age. Um, there are a couple on the market. It's basically Stephen Horvath's research on methylation clocks. And so it, it looks at different aspects of the system, whether it's chronologic versus biologic age. So if I'm 55 and I take it and it says I'm 65, that's uh, not the greatest sign. And I'm going to need to do a lot of work to even get to my normal, what, what's called, you know, this, this biologic chronologic, uh, my normal chronologic age. Um, we find that in uh, endurance athletes, triathletes, um, mm-hmm. endurance runners, they are way beyond their biologic age. I mean, they're chrono- sorry, they're chronologic age. They're much older, and there's a massive uh, cardiac risk. Do you know that that they're finding in this group of individuals? It's too much stress and strain on the body without enough gotcha. mitigations to restore it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, and that's also the marker that we use for for a lot of the interventions. Um, you know, if if you're going to do apheresis or young plasma you know, to do that marker first and then six months after the strategy, do the marker again, gives you a really good idea of what's going on in the system uh, with yeah, some of these. Pre and post testing, basically. Pre-imposed. Yeah, because yeah. You, you cannot say anything about improvement if you cannot monitor it, right? And so a lot of people are yes. doing these anecdotal, well, I felt and it's great. And, and is that the most important thing? Yes. <laughs> what matters is how you feel if you're, if this is you seeking these, these set. Uh, right. These but, but there's a lot of people out there who are kind of oblivious to how they could actually feel. They've never experienced it or that they're just in this moment of bliss from whatever they did that might end up crashing them in the future. Like, uh, we can go into basically food addictions where you just binge and you feel good and then in the long run it's horrible or as you just said in long distance athletes where basically you're feeling this great kind of high from that exercise you're doing you're finally relaxed because you're zoned out because your brain is just starting to 
to get into that that relaxed mode that that flow state where you don't feel anything in in these runs or bikes or or long swims but it adds up in the future and takes away from all this am well, i kind of on the, the right track with with it is and, and and i'll answer the question that you asked me before because this goes to you know what's happening with wim hof you, you know for every for every amazing thing that we do for ourselves to enhance optimize enhance our performance there can also be a shadow side to that and and, and we could just say a non-beneficial side right and yes. You know, Wim Hof is so incredible for uh, nervous system modulation for those who who cannot modulate their system on their own, right? So it takes highly stressed people and it can give them a sense of peace for a moment in time, right? Mm -hmm. Which then becomes sought. I need that again. I need that again. I need that again. And so they're doing it more and more often. And even that's okay if their system is relatively healthy from a respiratory position. Oh yeah. Right? It's an intense and exercise. Mechanics, right. Mechanics and uh, chemistry, respiration mm -hmm. chemistry, because what we're doing with Wim Hof is we're really whacking the pH of the body yes. because the breath is that the CO2 is the modulator of that. And you know what, what I've seen, I've seen incredible results and I've seen really dangerous results. Um, oh, the one that we were talking about earlier was a, an incredibly fit 52 year old man. And I mean, every single marker was ideal. He was a truly optimized human being, um, you know, crazy, not, not overly athletic, but enough that his system was just in a pristine state. And all of a sudden his blood pressure uh, went to a place that was dangerous. I mean, to the point where he had to be put on blood pressure medication. We have zero clients on blood pressure medication. I mean, and I'm not exaggerating zero. That's and so as we, right? <laughs> as we uh, got deeper into what it was, so we, we hooked him up to all of the equipment and looked at all of the nervous system markers, of course, looked at his blood pressure. Uh, we were talking about, he said, I said, are you doing anything new? He said, Wim Hof. And I said, oh, okay. So let's have you demonstrate Wim Hof with all this equipment on and the blood pressure. And so we had the doc in the room and, and he's watching everything. And, you know, we're looking at end tidal expired CO2 and heart rate variability and temperature. And it was astounding. I mean, he got into his, they, they do three rounds. He got into his second round and toward the end, he, his blood pressure was so insane that the doc stopped. It just stopped the experience. And he said, look, he said, I know that that feels good to you, but your body is not okay with it. Please discontinue. He discontinued. Yes. He didn't need his blood pressure medication anymore. He went back to his natural self. We worked on other breath techniques um, that we could demonstrate did not cause a really negative impact in the system. So yes. it's, it's that with anything we do, you know, any kind of modulation technique, uh, you mm -hmm. know, whether it's breath or mantra or psychedelics or yoga, or they all have both a complementary and non-beneficial um, at times, right, uh, outcome. Right. Now, do you think part of this is because sometimes the exercises are just 
too intense for what the system can handle. Is, is that kind of a good way to, I mean, to kind of summarize that point? It's definitely a part of it. And, you know, mm-hmm. if you look at the, um, if you look at the growth zone, do you know of, of, okay, I'm, I'm doing my thing. I'm doing my thing. I get into the growth right. zone. If we stay, you, you, you know, if we get in the growth zone, we're good. If we get up to the injury line, we're still good. Once we go past that, now we've taken the system and we're depleting it to the point of injury that, that will take us offline until we repair it. And so this is where the precision piece comes in um, and having the right either equipment, right, external Mm -hmm. tech so that we can know what's going on in muscle oxygenation or in, um, you know, oxygen utilization in the brain or right heart rate variability, you know, what is that place um, until we get to a place where we are our own biofeedback equipment, which is right. what we are and what is available to us if we dedicate ourselves to perceiving really at a very subtle level, knowing what's happening in all of my systems as I'm encountering this event, whatever that is. And then making sure to honor the body as or, or mind as it mm-hmm. says, we're going to injure or I don't feel anything, right? This is you, you brought up such a great point of we get into these states of euphoria and it's, it's like, oh man, I'm, I'm rocking. I I feel like there are times when I feel like my legs are running off the ground because I feel like I'm flying and, and that's okay if I'm totally conditioned and I don't get stupid and go even faster. But it's, <laughs> it's right. If you get in that state and you don't know where that line is for you and you don't have, I, I say an internal governor that just says, look, I'm not going to go past the point of breaking. Right. You will break. Right. And then you're going to get depressed because you can't do this stuff anymore. And, and it's going to take you so long. You're going to gain belly fat and you're going to be like, oh, God, why did I, why did I push myself that hard? Right. You know? yes. And so you got to keep the ego out of the way a bit. That's such a tough one, especially with all these high performers to, to really stress that, that point is that uh, there is kind of that, that gray line there that you can very quickly over exceed and and uh, just go the opposite direction there um Mm -hmm. now let's talk about it when that gray line though is stress from the outside world coming at us so you've obviously talked about working with a lot of high performing entrepreneurs or kind of executives or people who are in those positions where they're just going to be flooded with a whole whack of stuff getting thrown at them and what's kind of training can be done so that they can cope with this or handle it better or even thrive in these situations? You know, it really depends on where they are, which is now we'll go back to the precision data. Do you know if, if I know your nervous system and how life lodges in your body, right? then I have a really great starting place to go, Hey, uh, this is, this is what I'm seeing in your nervous system and even in your brain. And how does that, how does that land with you? You know, I notice that, um, when you're, when you're encountering a mental 
a mental challenge. Uh, you, your, you know, your heart rate rises, your temperature drops, your hands sweat. And, and it seems like you have an inner critic, right? Is there an inner critic right. in there, you know, at work? And, um, and when they say yes, and then I show them that with a physical activity, they're not stressed. And with a stress recall activity where they put themselves into one of their highest stress states, they're actually not reacting in the same way. Now, now we kind of differentiate that, that we've, we've got the mind really holding more um, power mm-hmm. sort of over the physicality. And so that might be a person who, um, you know, they feel like they're uh, stupid in front of their boss or that they didn't really do the best that they could, you know, perfectionism, I could have done better versus the person who none of that stuff matters to them. And all they care about is people, connections, relationships, making sure that there isn't anyone around them who is feeling um, in any way uncomfortable. Do you know, so it's, it's finding what is going on in the nervous system of that individual and when it pushes them over their coping ledge. It's like, you know, we can walk right, right. up to this line, I'm good, I'm good. And then all of a sudden we're past it and we're in amygdala hijack and we're reactionary instead of responsive. And at that point, we almost have to wait until the system settles itself or a martini right. settles it or Ray working out something can take that edge off. Right. Yes. Now, are there certain patterns you're, you're discovering that would, would kind of predispose somebody to, to uh, one of these situations um, that, that you've, you've described there? You know, it's interesting, David, because as I said, you know, with the human system being so complex, um, I, I, I tell you the ones, like if I look at, say, say a really um, high level exec at Google and their nervous system says, game on when I'm in stress, right? That, mm-hmm. that individual is going to do, or a military uh, special ops game on, I'm in and I'm good and I finish and I turn it off, right? These are the, the, the true performers who have really great optimization of the, of the nervous system. If, if so we kind know, of like the air force pilot who's, who's on the, on the intercom as the plane's crashing with the calmest explanation of what's going on. And the ones who can keep their cognition in nine G's and fly in formation. I mean, I am in awe wow, of yeah. all of them, you know, helicopter pilots too, that go in and rescue our guys. I mean, I, I just cry every time I'm with them because of what they do. It's just phenomenal. Right. Um, but if you, if you look on the other end of it and you say, mm-hmm. okay, what is the, what is the person um, who was really traumatized in childhood, like extrasensory sensitive yes. and, and never developed coping strategies, um, believes that the world is doing something to them. So now I'm looking at, um, David Hawkins has this, has, I think psychiatrist has a scale of consciousness and on that scale, it, it talks about a victim level of consciousness. And, and you know who the victims are. They're the, 
they're um, the woe is me. Everybody's doing something to me. None of this is my fault. I won't take responsibility for me. Um, right. I'm going to let you do it. And in fact, I'm going to blame you for it. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? They are at their level of evolution and great. God bless all of us for being exactly where we are. But if we look at that individual versus the one that just knows they're limitless and they're going to thrive through anything because it's all fun for them, right? Totally yeah. different <laughs> states of being. No and, yeah. you know, when you, when you look at that and you go, what is going on? If we look to, uh, it's, it's for me, I look at the energetics of it and I look at the psyche impacts of it. So survival strategies. Um, there's a book, uh, I don't know if it's Steve Kessler, Kessler, um, five uh, personality strategies. What they do is they break down buckets of um, like rigid. I'm a, I'm a rigid and the rigid person is the black and white rule follower. And there's only one way, right? It, there's no other way. So we find ourselves as high performers, perfectionists, we go into the military because there are rules and we know how to really navigate the rules. Yeah. Um, that, that person in a high performing lane above victim is going to do really, really well as they loosen their hold on those rigid rule sets. Um, uh, so yes. there are four others of those. And as you, as you look at those, you can really see how your childhood neurodevelopment affected what you currently are right now. And and for me, that's one of the big missing pieces that we don't talk about, uh, that we don't explore. And, and therefore we can't have compassion for Mm -hmm. others who are not high performers. Most high performers look at people who are victims and not high performing and they go, eh, right. Right. Yeah. Non-people right? Non-people. And so, so, so this is going to be a, be a loaded question. Uh, do you think with everything going on in society right now that neurodevelopment, like I use the example, neurodevelopmental disorders are going through the roof and uh, that we are just setting society up for more woe is me type mentality and we're already starting to see it. And then what can be done after uh, kind of this abnormal development uh, to to help help these people with and with these these kind of uh, defeating uh, thoughts and yeah. and uh, and behaviors. Um, so for me, it's all good mm-hmm. news uh, because the human system is truly self healing, self restoring, yes. miraculous. I mean, we don't even know how we're here this way. And, um, you know, we can, we can heal instantaneously. Do most of us mm-hmm. know, however, right. We do, we do heal over time. So when you look at the, the, you know, the state of, of what most people call trauma, I call it energy in motion, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. to me, to me, it's, it's simply the life experience of the individual and what did or didn't happen at those neurodevelopmental stages, if the reflexes are not fully online in those yeah. neurodevelopmental stages, now we have issues, of course, in the brain, the cerebellum, the brainstem, there, there are emotional and physical impacts, psychological impacts of not having those things come in. Um, it's like if, if a certain reflex 
um, isn't developed and the, the cerebellum isn't as ideal as it can be. And then right. the executive skill centers have to take some of the weight that wasn't developed in a foundational way from the cerebellum. Now, mm-hmm. now we're exhausting the system, right? And yes. so then there's a certain amount of bandwidth that is gone right when it's gone. And, and we're often confused as to why that happens. You know, also, um, you know, on the psychological side of being neglected, it's, you know, if you've been neglected and you never really uh, individuated or, or figured out how you and mother or you and, and community interact, um, there's, there's just a big missing piece, lots of missing right. pieces. Now, having said that, I also have seen many, many people wake up into a new awareness that they have mm-hmm. control of their destiny, right? That they can do the work if they choose, that they can find the resources because they're available. Um, I just, I, I see all of it above the level of victim. And as we rise above that, take sovereign responsibility for self, you know, identify what are the areas of the system that are not quite the way I would like them to be, not because we're judging them as not being good enough, but simply because we want more, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, then the process of finding exactly what we need begins. And I've watched people with such severe brain injuries that, that they should not function right. Who are just miracles in form. And, (laughs) and it's so cool, right. To watch them do the strategies and never give up. I mean, that's the, the testimony of the human spirit. It's just profound. So, so I don't see any, any negative dooms. Oh my God, we're in trouble. (laughs) I see the potential for trouble. And I also see the potential for the, the, what I, they're not miracles, right? I call every day people call miracles, right? When more and more move into this performance lane and recognize the limitless nature of this human system and its interaction with the environment, where it's, it changes the whole life, like the whole human experience game, right? Because we start doing things that are considered, oh my God, how is that possible? Well, like the mile, right? And it's a silly, silly example to use. And yet there it is. Um, yeah, it's right there. Yeah. yeah, so much more than that even. <laughs> oh, definitely. So with it being so much more than that, and with everything kind of human performance wise, what would be kind of one last thing you'd like to leave everyone with? Well, it might not be what everybody expects, um, but you know what I've found after, after my military time, I did a year of, I call it energy work. Most people call it trauma work, you know, <laughs> of, of recognizing what I didn't know was there because I, I would have told you I'm the highest performer on the planet. I still am, but differently now. As I did that work, I realized that my neurodevelopmental process and um, neglect and, and lack of love in those stages created a really high functioning superhero, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> who, who didn't really have a heart. Okay. And, and I, I, I definitely was loving. I had children and, and um, a beautiful husband, 
but until I did that work, I didn't know what love really is. Right. And as that opened to me, I have stepped into devotion to life uh, in a way that I didn't know was possible. Um, I've stepped into the limitless possibilities of us as humans or uh, more than humans, right? <laughs> uh, which is which is totally what we are. Yes. And, and, you know, for me, the number one thing that I would do, of course, I would I would make sure that my nervous system was coherent. Um, mm -hmm. But the number one thing that I would do is look at, contemplate, what do I know of love? And what does my life reflect of that, right? Are there pockets of incoherence where there's definitely not love, right? Am I right. judging in places? Those, those kinds of things to me are, are one of the final um, uh, precise inputs to enhancing the human system. Because we can be the greatest machine in performance and take out a bunch of bad guys and do all the things. If we don't yep. have a heart, we are not connected to our divinity, right? To our human divinity. And life is less satisfying, right? Yeah, less absolutely. amazing, less yummy, right? Yes. Less, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> love. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Perfect. So how can people find you then? Oh, how can people find me? I really like LinkedIn. Um, and so I think I'm Micah Hamilton on LinkedIn. And appear on Zoe is our website. It's A-P-E-I-R-O-N-Z-O-H.com. And that has our ecosystem. Uh, which is super fun because it's so nice to have a complex systems approach to living. Uh, yes. So lots of information on that. And uh, yeah, I, I would love for anybody to reach out who has questions or, or just is in the same, uh, uh, same trajectory of, of awakening into a much bigger life. <laughs> yes, definitely. Well, I, appreciate your time, your insight, and all your knowledge on human performance and on integrating love and divinity with that. And really appreciate the, the message and, and everything that you're sending out to people. Um, for everyone here, tune into the next episode of The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.